Welcome. You are listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's better to hear it live, this is the place to catch the latest sermon, conversation, and select program. If you like what you're hearing or want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get a notification for our next episode. Enjoy and see you in shul. Welcome to Park Avenue Synagogue Podcasts, where we bring conversations with members of our community to our community and beyond our community, conversations of relevance to the synagogue, to American Jewry, and to all of us. And it is a great pleasure to have Floyd Abrams, a longtime member of Park Avenue Synagogue, to discuss a whole range of issues to which Floyd has devoted his career. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Floyd Abrams is senior counsel in Cahill, Gordon, and Rindell's litigation practice group. Floyd has a national trial and appellate practice, extensive experience in high visibility matters, often involving the First Amendment, intellectual property, public policy, and regulatory issues. He's argued frequently in the Supreme Court in cases raising issues as diverse as the scope of the First Amendment, the nature of broadcast regulation, the impact of copyright law, and the continuing viability of the Miranda Rule. Floyd's clients have included the New York Times and the Pentagon Papers case and others, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, a whole lot of other impressive clients. He has prevailed in his argument before the Supreme Court on behalf of Senator Mitch McConnell, um, defending the rights of corporations and unions to speak publicly about politics and elections in Citizens United, the Federal Election Commission. I do want to note, I could read his bio for the duration of this podcast, but in November 2011, Yale Law School announced the formation of the Floyd Abrams Institute for Freedom of Expression, whose mission is to promote free speech, scholarship, and law reform on emerging questions concerning traditional and new media. Floyd, welcome to Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. Thanks very much. Uh, Glad to be here. All right. Well, it's great to see you. And I I see you writing op-eds or in the news, and then I see you in synagogue. It's great to see you in all venues in which you are seen. We welcome you. Can I just start with a personal question? Obviously, the range of of your practice is extensive. Um, I know you best as um, a voice on First Amendment issues. How did this journey um, to become the perhaps a preeminent uh, voice on First Amendment issues? Did you was that by design, or or you just sort of woke up and and how, how did that happen? Well, I would say it's mostly. Uh, as I view it, with good luck and uh, and the sense, at least at one critical moment, of being in the right place at the right time. It did start earlier in the sense that I've been interested in the topic uh, long before I was in law school, uh, uh, and and indeed interested in the topic in a way that I think has helped me because I was sort of on the other side. The national debating topic uh, used to 
maybe there are still such things. Uh, one year when I was in high school, related to what was then called trial by newspaper, uh, the notion that the press could be and often was so unfair in its coverage that maybe people couldn't get fair trials. Uh, and I sort of bought into that uh, lightly, but I was more interested than committed. But I found that very interesting. I found what I was hearing about and then reading the English law, for example. You know, they put journalists in jail for for publishing the sort of stuff that came out during Watergate uh, on the ground that it might interfere with the fair trial of a defendant. So during a trial then and now, under English law, uh, if there's a trial of somebody, uh, you can't print anything uh, other than what appears admitted in evidence in court. So if, if, if a journalist knows there was a confession and the confession has not been introduced, it, it is a contempt of court. Again, then and now, journalists have been put in jail uh, for publishing things like that. So that was my beginning, uh, sort of, you could say, the other side, but at least it was the beginning of my close interest in it. Uh, and then uh, in law school, I started taking a number of courses. Uh, and in sort of real life after law school, happened to go to a firm that was representing NBC at a time when President Nixon was really cracking down on the press. And so I was fortunate enough to start to work as an associate on cases where we were trying to establish a greater degree of, uh, of freedom of the press for the broadcast press. So that was the beginning. And then that went on and on and and, uh, and a very uh, great uh, chance, one could say. Uh, I came to uh, represent the New York Times together with a professor of mine from Yale Law School, Alexandra Bickel, who was the chief counsel for the New York Times and the Pentagon Papers case. And I had brought him in to that situation where he was asked to do that case. So he and I were in charge of the case. And that's how my career, you know, blossomed and and uh, began to be uh, characterized. I'm not sure if the words existed before of a First Amendment lawyer. Right now, now, which actually leads me to the question. I never went to law school, which is probably good for the legal profession. But for those of us like myself, the, the relationship between the First Amendment and democracy itself, um, why has, if you could explain it to me in layman's terms, um, why is it so critically important to uh, defend the First Amendment? Well, the First Amendment uh, first came about because, to some extent, English law had moved to a point where uh, you didn't need a license uh, to publish a book, which had been the law, uh, or, to, or to say something in a newspaper, which had been 
the law back far enough. Um, but at the time of the revolution, uh, there was more and more suppression of, you could say, revolutionary speech. Uh, and the framers were, you know, deeply uh, concerned about then and thereafter uh, uh, government limiting uh, free expression. Um, the U.S. has come to have uh, more protection, indeed often much more protection for free speech than other democratic countries. Uh, and one of the reasons, I'd say, is that there has been greater concern, even fear here, about the dangers of government control over speech. I mean, that's, that's the basic thing that the speech part of the First Amendment, I mean, remember, it starts with freedom of religion, is the beginning of the First Amendment. Um, and, and again, there, there was a history that they were looking to and, and the, the, the framers and saying that these are not areas in which, which we trust any government, however well-meaning, to, to make basic decisions about. And that was true in religion and it was true with respect to speech, and it was true with respect to the press. And those were the first three inclusions in what became uh, the First Amendment. Uh, and uh, so, you know, most of my career has been, uh, you know, sometimes successfully, sometimes not, and maybe sometimes correctly not, uh, defending uh, the right of uh, first the broadcast press uh, and then the print press to say some things which would would not be allowed in other democratic countries. I mean, I went to Israel with my wife uh, right after, by chance, we had reservations, right after the Pentagon Papers case. Israeli journalists said, you know, you'd never be able to publish here. You know, we're a big free speech country, they said. You couldn't do here and you couldn't do in England, on which Israeli law in this area was based. Uh, what, about uh, during the middle of a war in Vietnam then? You're, you're publishing secret documents uh, from within the government itself about how we got into the war and and the like. Uh, now, we argued they were not dangerous to the pursuit of the war, but the idea that every page was stamped top secret, sensitive, 7,000 pages of the Pentagon Papers, uh, that, that in other great democracies in the world, uh, Israel was and is one. Uh, I was in Switzerland on that trip. Uh, I've traveled a lot uh, uh, with respect to uh, I mean, personal reasons, but but talking about the First Amendment, and usually, usually not always, but usually, American law provided much greater protection than that of other countries. Uh, 
Can I ask a question? And it's going to go a little bit out of order here. I, I had a whole list of questions that I'm throwing out the window right now because it seems that based on what you're describing of the origins and, and the prompt for the First Amendment by the founders, by the framers, um, we are in a radically different moment right now. My concern in America is not the suppression of speech, but the um, fire hose of, of, of social media and speech run amok in a diffuse way, untethered from any claims to truth, that social media has sort of erupted in a way that we don't know um, what to listen to, and anyone can post the darndest thing whenever they want, independent of its veracity or otherwise. It, it, and so now my concern is, right, what, what are the guardrails to speech? Um, how can free speech be maintained, yet at the same time create uh, or maintain our commitment to civil society? Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, social media has raised uh, new and troubling in a new way uh, issues. I'm struck by the fact that when it came on the scene, First Amendment types, now I mean serious, uh, not, not lawyers, scholars, uh, very thoughtful people were celebrating. What, what could be better? that to start to have a forum for the public, not just the press. People need a lot of money to start a newspaper business or whatever. Here was a way that, that more people could say more, hear more, maybe learn more than in the history of the world. Uh, I mean, it's, it's as revolutionary in a way as libraries when, when they were first created. And what are we learning? <laughs> well, maybe we're learning that uh, that there are greater dangers than had been foreseen um, in in the in the super great amount of freedom that exists uh, on and be and because of uh, the internet. Now, it doesn't lead me to say that we should limit uh, speech on the internet. Uh, I really, I don't believe that, not just as a matter of First Amendment theory. I think that would, that would be very risky in terms of the ultimate suppression of speech. Yes, first, maybe most dangerously by the government, uh, but then, you know, not the government. So, so what can we do? We can deal with, with how large institutions are. We have antitrust laws and, you know, we, we could deal with who owns how much, so to speak, of the internet. But that's not the problem you're identifying. What you're identifying, as, as I say it back to you is, is that, you know, an awful lot of the public behaves, comports itself, once freed of limitations, in, in a dangerous way on the internet. Uh, uh, I mean, the, the lack of temperance, the lack of civility, uh, the, the 
attacks on people on the internet. Uh, and as a Jewish community, this fall, uh, we're always attentive to it. But but the presence of hate speech, yeah. and you yeah. and actually, I don't know if you agree with this, but I I feel that time and again, history has taught us that. Um, hate speech never ends with just speech, that it can lead to violent acts, whether that's the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin or some guy getting punched in Central Park. Uh, this is, uh, you know, the Jewish community is acutely aware of, of this danger. No, and, and it has good reason to be at the same time it has often been the Jewish community whose speech was suppressed uh, through history uh, and, and like other minority entities, uh, been early on the list of uh, uh, speakers and just people living their lives, but, but in part on the speaking end, being harmed and, and and being jailed for speech and being uh, persecuted for Jewish speech, uh, and and that's not a I I really feel this that's not a complete answer to what you're asking, uh, uh, and and the answer may be you know we uh, we have to take our chances that that. Uh, that yes, there are real dangers. And right now, when we see a spread of anti-Semitism, I don't think it's because of, but is it fomented by, is it easier because of the internet? Sure. Uh, but that comes with, with technology uh, of a sort that uh, I, I don't think is properly uh, uh, appropriately regulated. I mean, one can, uh, other countries can, uh, democratic countries can can and do ban, and penalize, jail people for certain sorts of hate speech, which we do not. Um, I mean, my my First Amendment contingent would would say, in partial response that there were bans in hate speech in Germany in the 1920s. And nobody profited more from them than the Nazis because when they were tried, publicity spread about the trials. They got a chance to talk to people. That's true. I mean, that really is accurate, but there, there's not going to be an answer uh, uh, to the problem uh, I, I mean, a legal, uh, something society, uh, even if well advised, is going to do uh, in this area, apart from those things which we have always relied on and always found not really quite adequate education uh, 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 and, you know, uh, social limitations. I mean, I mean, it's not that everyone, I mean, we see it again right now in our society. Yes, people who have voiced anti-Semitic rantings uh, have not been threatened with jail, but, you know, have lost their positions. Uh, I mean, have been, well, shunned, criticized, uh, 
sort of an informal uh, guardrail or an unstated guardrail to the consequences of hate speech. I I mean, uh, mean, what we've seen in recent months uh, obviously has involved what dangerous, certainly, certainly deeply offensive, but more than that, a level of dangerous expression of anti-Semitism at the same time, you know, society has sort of gotten together at least to to broadly denounce it. Uh, and it, it may be that's that's the best that we can do. Uh, yeah, I'm giving you know I'm, I'm 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 stewing on this, and maybe we'll discuss it. You know, next time I see you in synagogue, because I, you know you're you're sort of obviously you've devoted your career to be a uh, a staunch defender of the First Amendment, but um, somehow I feel, and I hear I'm just sharing my own view, Floyd, on this that um, you know you're 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 arguing for a free market, um, an unregulated notion of free speech and and um whereas i appreciate the the work of those who would counter hate speech i'd like to think that i could live in a world where uh you know hate speech as such doesn't doesn't exist but uh, we we you and i don't live in that world let me ask you a, a quest question um what are can you give us just a quick overview um are there consequential court cases in front of the Supreme Court right now um, regarding the First Amendment that we should have our eyes on? I'd say the most important ones are literally going to be in front of the court, uh, not quite there yet, and they relate to social media. Uh, uh, At the broadest level, the question is, uh, social media going to be getting the same sort of protection that the print press does? But on, on the ground, what it means, what, what it arises out of are statutes now in Texas and Florida that basically limits the uh, ability uh, of large social media entities uh, to engage in uh, a, a good deal of political and social commentary if it is viewed as uh, uh, racist uh, or or otherwise uh, appropriately uh, off limits. Uh, And it's not just that area. I mean, the the key question asked in one of the cases uh, in the Court of Appeals was by by a member of that bench in Texas, was, are you saying that social media could uh, uh, have someone on or only someone on from on one side of political issues. Uh, are you really saying that you should be allowed to uh, slant what you have by who you choose to be on because that's what you think is the is the right result? And the answer, the, the First Amendment answer of the lawyer was yes the print press can do that and 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 it's all to the good and the answer of the court was almost a john McEnroe. you cannot be serious you 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 are really saying that that google could just put on 
democratic-oriented speech? Uh, and the First Amendment answer is yes. Then, you know, we can make all sorts of arguments, and I believe them, about how it wouldn't happen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, but uh, the basic argument on the speech side is we don't want the government to play around in that area at all. What's left, what's right, et cetera. Um, and in that very case, the case relied upon most uh, by the by the media or the 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 entities uh, defending social media was a, a, a Florida statute of some years ago which said that if a newspaper attacks a candidate at the end of a campaign, it has to give them a chance to answer. Right. Unanimously, the Supreme Court said, you can't tell the press what to print. Period. You can't. We understand right. that it's not fair that that uh, Mr. Tornillo in Miami had, had been attacked by the Miami Herald at a time when it really was powerful uh, in that state and that city. Um, and, and the answer was easy for the court, left and right. And that was the case cited, and that was the case that in one of these two cases, the courts disagreed on this, but in, in one of the cases, the, the court said, yeah, but that's, this is not the print press. This is all different. And that, that issue will be decided, uh, I would say, within the next term. Has, the a comp court. has a composition of the court changed? How these things are uh, going to be uh, yeah. decided? Yes, uh, uh, I mean on a lot of things, the Chief Justice Roberts would certainly be proud to say that the Supreme Court has been a very pro First Amendment court. Um, um, but uh, in a number of those cases including one that I did that, that you mentioned, which I'm sure most members of our congregation would be most unhappy about, the Citizens United case, right. where, where I was arguing that corporations, like people, people, ought to be allowed to spend their money on political causes. I happen to be in favor of more disclosure of what they do, but that wasn't the issue. The issue here was could they spend the money uh, uh, and and that was and is my uh, my view, but it remains uh, your view. It it remains my my okay. my minority amongst my friends' uh, uh, view uh, for some of the same reasons that I'll call my friends tend to agree with on other issues, which is we don't want the government involved in what can be said or not said. And the fact that it's a corporation, I was arguing, I said, all my clients are corporations. The New York Times is a corporation. Uh, uh, I don't know. The synagogue probably is a corporation. Uh, I mean, I've represented uh, Cornell and Columbia. They are corporations. Uh, and even if you limited it to business corporations, uh, well, I, again, I'm in favor of people knowing who's spending what sort of money, uh, uh, I'm not in favor 
of limiting them because they're in the corporate form. In any event, that's a big issue, which which uh, uh, roils. Right. Well, it's uh, and so and so the the composition of the court might now. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, I, 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 I didn't answer your question. So uh, my point was about to be uh, that that the conservative members of the court in the corporation area were all for free speech and the more liberal members uh, were all for more restrictions on corporate uh, uh, spending. In general, this has been a very pro First Amendment court. Um, uh, but, but, uh, we are, we are moving, I think, to a point where a sort of a conservative First Amendment and a liberal First Amendment, uh, and, and so, uh, and that may be especially visible, uh, in the area of social media, uh, where to the extent it's viewed or as, uh, more left than right uh, before certain more recent events uh, uh, with respect to Twitter. Um, it's been a strong, very strong First Amendment court. Uh, I, I, if I had to predict, I'd say we're likely to have more divisions left and right, sort of Democrat and Republican, alas, mm -hmm. uh, on the court. Uh, in First Amendment areas as well. Yeah. Thank you. Floyd, I honestly have about 8,000 other questions, but we are out of time. So I'm going to ask you the same question I like to ask all members of Park Avenue Synagogue, but with a twist, because um, we've had conversations um, and, and, and uh, uh, there, there's warmth towards you, towards your family. Um, what What brings you to Park Avenue Synagogue when you walk in. You could spend that Saturday morning anywhere in the world. Um, and you walk in and I see you there. I don't know whether you're, uh, it's not a theological question, but um, what, what, what place does it hold in your heart? It's not a theological answer. Uh, um, uh, look up. A good part of it, I don't want to embarrass you. A, a good part of it is I'm interested in what you have to say. That's a fact that I'm interested. Um, I have friends there. I like to meet with them. I haven't seen them. I didn't realize till I started coming back recently. I hadn't seen them for three years or however long COVID's been yeah. around. I've been literally seeing them. I, I don't. You know, we don't live in the same building. And, uh, we don't didn't happen to bump into each other. Um, and oh, there there is a, at least a touch. I'd like to think more than that of of uh, theological, genuine, if if limited, perhaps uh, theological interest uh, in what it is that. A Jewish education, which even though I was bar mitzvah, but I really didn't have, uh, would would uh, would provide. Uh, and so when I do come, that is truly something that is of interest to me.
It is always wonderful um, to have you in synagogue, and it is wonderful to call you a dear, dear member of the community. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for joining Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast, and I know it won't be long before I see you again in person, Floyd. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.